You're listening to KCBP Community Radio at 95.5 FM and streaming at kcbpradio.org. This is Women of the Valley, where we examine the issues, stories, organizations, and people important to women in our community. We're your hosts, Laura Stokes. And I'm Linda Scheller. Hello, this is Laura Stokes with KCBP. Today, we are interviewing Elaine Gorman, the vice chair of the local Sierra Club, the Yokuts Group of Mother Lode's chapter. Thank you for being with us today, Elaine. You're welcome. Happy to be here, Laura. Great. To start with, would you please describe your formative years where you were raised and educated? Well, I was born in a log cabin in Los Angeles, all true except for the log cabin part, but <laughs> And being a kid in the 50s and 60s in Los Angeles with perfect weather year-round, kids were just always outside playing. We were always on our bicycles, skating, skateboarding, just walking around, getting into mischief. Parents were a lot more uh, permissive back then. Uh, All of my friends and my family, we just had a lot of freedom as kids. So that was awesome for us. As I got a little bit older... In elementary school, I joined the Campfire Girls, and so we got into camping, and so that was a great excuse for my mother to send her two kids off to uh, go camping up in the San Bernardino Mountains, and we got to stay in cabins, and uh, we would even do a little off-site camping trip every session and did a couple of camping trips at the beach as well. So, uh, and again... It was a different time, I think, than now growing up. Uh, We had a lot of freedom, and um, we were just able to just be out there, go horseback riding, make fires, learn how to do fun crafts. Then as I got older and in high school, uh, some friends of mine, we started hiking in the San Bernardino Mountains and also did a little bit of hiking in the uh, mountains around Griffith Park, the hills there. It was kind of wild back then. You know, there was wildlife. We would see coyotes and deer. And this is right in almost downtown Los Angeles. Started backpacking. Then, of course, when I went to college at Humboldt State University, continued with hiking and backpacking. While at college at Humboldt State, I majored in natural resources and eventually got a teaching credential. Okay. Talk about your summer jobs, working for the Forest Service during college including the logging in Oregon on Forest Service land. Well, in 1974, uh, during the summer, I had a summer job working for Siskiyou National Forest in Oregon. And part of my job was to survey seedling regrowth on logged over land. Private lumber companies would, I'm not sure exactly how the timber sales went, but so private logging companies would I'll say lease the land, although I know that that's not exactly correct. And they would be permitted to do logging on that land. And so part of my job was to go around within a year or two or three or four years from the logging operation, and we would look for seedling regrowth on this logged over land. I discovered that there are in Oregon, in Southern Oregon, Southwest Oregon, that there are large acreages of clear cuts we would just see hills and hills uh, clear cut. And then uh, there would be a lot of leftover debris 
we would be walking through this debris trying to look for these seedlings. And sometimes there were plenty and sometimes there were hardly any. Uh, I know that there are different laws regarding logging now. I know it has gotten much better that the size of the clear-cut logging has changed. But it was very interesting. I got to see examples of helicopter logging. That was very interesting. And also we would see these demonstration logging operations with horses, and that was really fun and interesting to watch that. Also in Oregon, there was, of course, a lot of wildlife, and so we would see elk herds, we would see bears, we would see mountain lions, so that was really an interesting experience. And then in the summer of 1975, I worked for Sawtooth National Forest Service in Idaho, and that was a different experience. Uh, We were at a lake called Redfish Lake, I was on a campground construction crew. The Sawtooth Mountains are very wild and beautiful, and I think that was my first real connection with wilderness, where back in the 70s, even though, of course, people were backpacking, but that part of Idaho is not very crowded, not that many people recreating there in the 70s, and so we would have a lot of time to go backpacking on our weekends and our days off, and and I had a wonderful time. Did you see anything about the clear cutting that disturbed you, such as they didn't clear cut any virgin forest at that point, did they? There probably weren't any left. Well, to be honest, I really can't remember. That was a long time ago, and I, I probably wasn't really that aware of what was first growth or old growth forest and and what uh, second growth. Uh, the thing that I noticed, and again, this is really just a revelation to me because I didn't really have any preconceived notions, was that we would just see acres and acres of land that had been clear cut and it just looked like a disaster. At least in that part of the forest where we were, the debris would just be left there, just laying on the ground. So once it grows back, it's never going to be the same, I presume. Well, it would be interesting to to go back 50 years later and see what it looked like. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Talk about the public meeting testimony where you became an activist. Well, when I was in college uh, in the 70s, I got interested in Redwood National Park, which was just getting started. And I presented testimony, again, regarding logging in the lands adjacent to Redwood National Park. And eventually there was more land uh, added to Redwood National Park. Then a little bit later in my college days at Humboldt State, I was part of a group called Redwood Alliance. We were protesting the Humboldt Bay nuclear power plant. And of course, there's an earthquake. They discovered after this nuclear power plant was built that there was an earthquake fault basically right underneath it. So of course, people in the community were concerned about nuclear waste and about an earthquake and leakage. So I went to many public meetings and wrote letters and comments. Eventually, the nuclear power plant was shut down. That's pretty impressive that it was actually shut down. Was it because of the public input? Well, I think the earthquake fault was the nail in the coffin. Well, right. But the public input regarding that probably. Uh, We probably helped. We made a loud noise. And of course, Redwood Alliance was part of what the larger group is called the Abalone Alliance. And they are also very active in the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant. And actually a group of us would go down there to help protest that nuclear power plant too. Is the Abalone, they still active? I'm not really sure if Abalone Alliance is still active. It was actually a nationwide group that was fighting nuclear power plants all across the United States. I know they were active on the East Coast. Tell us anything else 
about your college experiences and degree that you want to share and let us know how these experiences were formative for your path forward in life. For several years, I participated in a program called Youth Educational Services, YES. It was a program for students to get involved in the community. So there were many different programs, like 10 or 20, and students can pick any kind of community activism they wanted to be involved with. And I was involved in the environmental education education program during the time that I was also getting my teaching credential. Our group of students would go to a local elementary school every week, and we created and implemented a gardening and science program for one of the teachers there. And so every week we would put together some lesson plans on science and environmental education, and we, and us with the kids, we planted a garden. And so that was actually really wonderful training for my teaching career and also being involved in the YES program helped me to learn to be a collaborator with my colleagues, really helped me with co-teaching and how to have an integrated program and working with others and taking part, doing my share. So it was really a wonderful way for me to get some teaching experience and also just to work with my colleagues So while I was involved in that program, I also received my life science uh, teaching credential. Very nice. Talk about your career as a public school teacher. Of course, being up in Humboldt County, I wanted to live up there forever. But I realized that that was not going to happen because there's not very many schools up there, high schools and junior high schools. I did one year of substitute teaching. And then I moved to Modesto and I taught for 24 years at Mark Twain Junior High School and Roosevelt Junior High School. I mainly taught seventh grade, life science class, or basically biology, and a little bit of physical science. I also taught many of the ESL sheltered classes, the English second language classes, as a sheltered science teacher, which meant that the class, at least at that time, The classes were taught in English. We would have one or two paraprofessionals in there with us to help translate for the kids. That was sometimes up to one-third of my students or or half. A third to half of my students would be sheltered or ESL students. The kids were from just having arrived there in the United States a week before for students who had even perhaps been born here in the United States but still needed help with uh, language acquisition. And then my last, I think, four years at Roosevelt, I was the ESL coordinator for the school. And then while I was at Roosevelt, I think for about six or eight years, I had a, I was the advisor for an adventure club, started out with taking kids skiing at Dodge Ridge, and that was a blast. We would take the Valley Sporting Goods bus up there a few times a season, and then we moved into doing some campouts like at Caswell Park or uh, Indian Grinding Rock State Park, and we would do hiking. I would take the kids to the indoor climbing gym Stonehenge here in Modesto. That was fun to share the outdoors with the students. I wish I could have been your student. That sounds like fun. Well, I don't know if you took a survey of all my former students. I'm not sure (laughs) they would agree with you. Oh, I doubt it. They probably (laughs) loved you. So do you speak Spanish yourself now after all that? A little bit. Mainly because I've taken classes in Mexico, but maybe one-third bilingual. So did you form any permanent connections with any of your students? Yes. As a matter of fact, 
I do, I do have a family of my former students that they're like my family now. So uh, my friend Lakana and her sister Sopana are kind of like my younger sisters. I get to share their families. They have kids now that are getting ready to go to college. So yes, I've been able to, yeah, I have some friendships. And then of course, some of my former students like Ruben Villalobos and some others that are still in town here, I get to bump into them periodically. Do you miss teaching? Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to be retired. And it's nice not to have to get up early if you don't have to, don't want to. You've kind of mentioned this a little bit, but do you want to elaborate on where and when you learned to love nature and the outdoors? And I think you've already talked a little bit about when you started backpacking and where. Is there more you want to say? Well, my first backpack trip was in Yosemite in 1970, like I mentioned earlier, with a group of friends. And we did not know what we were doing or, (laughs) you know, we just, all of our gear came from Kmart. (laughs) And this is even pre-Walmart. I borrowed my cousin's high top Converse tennis shoes. So those were my hiking shoes. Oh my gosh. And everything weighed a ton. My (laughs) backpack didn't even have a belly strap and just had these flimsy shoulder straps. But when you're 16, you can do anything and you just tough it out. But that really got me going with backpacking. I had a great time. I have just been hiking and backpacking ever since, um, mainly with the Sierra, well, not mainly with Sierra Club, but a lot with the Sierra Club. I really learned to love wilderness, and I would say wilderness is my true love. What kind of backpacking gear do you have now? I'll bet it doesn't weigh a ton. No, most of my serious backpacking friends, uh, we have very lightweight gear, and there's several different brands, but one of the brands that we like is called Z-Pack, and they have uh, very lightweight backpacks that are about a pound. Another brand that we buy some of our gear from is Montbell. You know, of course, we always check REI, but they don't always have the lightest gear. But everything's expensive now. So it's um, if you want to be light, you got to be willing to pay the money, you know, to buy a uh, you know, a backpack could be four to $600. Right. Anything that weighs a pound that can actually carry another 30 pounds. Right. It's <laughs> not cheap. I'm going to ask this stupid question. Is it possible to rent backpack gear now? I think REI still rents backpacking gear. Uh, our closest REI used to be stocked in. They're no longer there. So Sacramento or Dublin. Mm. So it's it's not that convenient. And then now that Valley Sporting Goods is not there, we don't really have any good independent outfitters. Dick Sporting Goods, I go there if I, you know, need something in a pinch or even Big Five. Talk to people about hiking shoes, if you don't mind, just because you're an expert on oh. backpacking. So I'll just throw this in there. Well, Hoka, H-O-K-A, is my preferred hiking shoe. I have a high top Hoka that I use for backpacking, and I have a low top Hoka that I use for day hikes, but they're very lightweight and super comfortable. They're like walking with pillows on your feet. And I'm going to guess they're not cheap. No. No, well. And not that long lasting, sadly, because they're, the material is so lightweight. Did you ever have any experiences backpacking that were special that stick out in your mind that you want to share? Be something treacherous or something unusual or 
There's something fun. One of the things I really enjoy about backpacking is at night, just the clear, dark sky, which you cannot get outside of the wilderness. You know, there's always light pollution. So that's one of my favorite things. I might have to come back to that question a little bit later. Something might pop into my head, but I enjoy being with my friends. And in fact, many of my backpacking friends are close friends of mine. And so those are just experiences that bring you closer to people. Some of them I only see backpacking and some of them I just, they live here in Modesto, so I see them throughout the year. But uh, having really solid friendships has been has been great and sharing the experience with them. When did you become involved with the Sierra Club and how did that happen? Well, I'll give you just a short history of the Sierra Club. The Sierra Club was founded in 1892 and John Muir was one of the co-founders along with a bunch of other folks from the Bay Area. It started with them wanting to protect land, to protect wilderness. So like, for instance, in Yosemite National Park, John Muir was a very strong proponent of wilderness preservation, and I will get to him a little bit later. Sierra Club was started in 1892, uh, primarily as a hiking club and also to preserve public land. It first started out as a kind of a older white person of privilege club, and it has be the Sierra Club, very proud to say, has become a lot more diverse with women having leadership positions and people of color. In fact, the director of the Sierra Club, our president, is now, his name is Ben Jealous. He is our new director just this year. So Ben Jealous, from 2008 to 2013, he was the youngest ever president and CEO of the NAACP. And so he is very impressive. If you have a chance, just look him up. So we're very glad to have him. Also, another little background on the Sierra Club is that the mission statement of the Sierra Club is to explore, enjoy, and protect the wild places on Earth, to practice and promote the responsible use of the Earth's ecosystems and resources, and to educate and enlist humanity to protect and restore the quality of the natural and human environment, and to use all lawful means to carry out these objectives. So the Sierra Club, like I said, it was started in 1892. It's the oldest and most influential environmental organization in the United States. This is KCBP 95.5 FM, Voice of the Valley. And we are interviewing today Elaine Gorman or the Yokuts Group. Well, I first got involved in the Yokuts Group in 1984 when I moved back to Modesto from college. I did a backpack trip to Silver King Creek, which is in Carson Iceberg Wilderness on the east side of the Sierra. And I went with Don Cantwell. Probably some folks remember Don. was a very active outings leader. He was also a judge here in Modesto or in the county. So I did a few backpacks with Don. And then later on, I decided to become an outings leader myself. So I have probably led, about, led or co-led about 50 backpack trips and probably upwards of 100 day hikes and other programs. Also, since 1984, I've been the outings chair. I have been program chair a couple different times, and now I'm the vice chair. How have these experiences added to your life? Friendships, which you just said, but what have you done that's been of value to the Sierra Club? You just named all these things you did. 
Yes. Well, I mentioned that a, a lot of uh, Sierra Club members have become friends and uh, really important friendships for me. Being involved in Sierra Club and also in teaching, you know, I've gained leadership skills, experience, and learning how to be a better team player and uh, collaborating with folks on different projects. Uh, I consider myself a worker bee. I don't really like being in charge of anything, but I'm good with given a task and following through and making sure that things get done. Oh, that's good. Let's talk about the California Explorer. You have been writing articles for them. Let us know how long you've been writing about them and talk to us about that magazine and what's happened to it. Yeah, I'm not sure if anybody besides me in Stanislaw County, except for maybe some of my friends, know about California Explorer, but uh, California Explorer is a hiking magazine, and they put out six issues a year, starting in the 80s. So I, I actually was a subscriber for over 30 years, and they just quit publishing this last year. They just had their last issue of December 2022. They never had an online presence. In fact, today, just for fun, I googled California Explorer, and you cannot find anything about it. So it's like they didn't exist, but they did. So they, they would just have all different hikes that people could do in California and a few outside of California. And they weren't they different from a, a hiking guide uh, or a trail guide in that they would have stories about the hike. So they would have interesting historical things about it or natural special natural history or things to look out for, not just the basics. I have always written little stories about my hiking trips. Periodically, I would uh, send them to our Motherload chapter newsletter or even sometimes to Stanislaw Connections. In fact, I just sent one to Jim today. You can guys can look forward to that. So a few years ago, I, I started sending them to California Explorer, and so that was fun. Got to even one time one of my photos was on the cover of, of the magazine, uh, so that was fun. I am thinking about compiling some of my articles into a booklet in the future. So uh, I just have to get going on that and get motivated to do that. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Complete with photographs, right? Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm not really a photographer. but <laughs> Oh, I'm sure you took tons of pictures. What was the circulation of that magazine? You know, I'm not sure. I, I meant to, of course, to bring it with me, but yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Tell us where to hike then. Since you know that, where do we hike around the valley and talk about these hikes and access to the trails and don't skimp on details? Uh, you may know that the Central Valley is considered park poor. Mm -hmm. What that means is, is that there are not as many neighborhood parks, regional parks, state parks, national parks, public land like there is in the coastal areas or the larger cities like, let's say, Sacramento. So um, that's a given, that is a fact. And so I just wanted to point that out. However, there are some wonderful gems here in near Modesto. If you have never been to Caswell State Park in Ripon, I strongly encourage you to go there. It's just right over the, right in the border of uh, San Joaquin and Stanislaw County. It's in San Joaquin County, uh, just west of Ripon. It's a wonderful park right along the Stanislaw River. There are several miles of hiking trails. There's a campground there. There's a little bit of a beach. There's for folks who like to uh, canoe or kayak. 
there are some places where boats can be taken out or put in there. So Caswell is one of my favorite places. It has ancient forest. There's hardly any ancient riparian forest left in our county. This is one place where you can see it. And just the most magnificent sycamores in the valley, in my opinion, are right here at Caswell State Park. Another good place that is only about a half hour away is the Pelican Nature Trail at the San Joaquin River National Wildlife Area. It is uh, located off of Highway 132, just west of here, near what is called Vernalis. There is a four-mile nature trail. There is a nice kiosk at the parking lot. You can pick up a little trail guide and some information and learn about, learn about birds, learn about the migratory birds, particularly the Aleutian Canada geese and the efforts that they are doing to restore habitat there and also to protect some other species like the riparian brush rabbit. When I'm there, it reminds me or gets me thinking about what the Central Valley looked like 200 years ago. Of course, it's been modified. In fact, most of that refuge was a farm, the farms, but you can still get that feeling of vast wetlands and open land and forest, riparian forest. Okay, another good place to hike that's nearby, maybe about a 45-minute drive from Modesto, is the Red Hills, which is some public land off of Highway 108, just about 15 miles east of Knights Ferry. The Red Hills is what's called an area of critical environmental concern. The reason is, is that it has these very unusual soils. They're serpentine soils. These soils allow unusual plants to grow there that don't grow in very many other places. So uh, during the springtime when the wildflowers are out, uh, go to the Red Hills and check it out. There's probably about 15 to 20 miles worth of hiking in the Red Hills. The, my only complaint about the Red Hills is that there is not a lot of interpretation about that area. I don't think you can get actually lost there. However, you can kind of lose your way and accidentally find your way back. There's not very good signs there, but um, you can go online and print out a little bit of information about it. Another good place to hike is in the East Bay the East Bay Regional Park District has a huge system of parks. So one of my favorite ones, which is not too far from here, is called Morgan Territory. It is, again, about 45 minutes to an hour from Modesto. There's many, many trail hiking trails there. Uh, the East Bay Regional Park District does a really good job with their online information. And also when you get there, you can pick up a map or they have good kiosks with information and their trails are very well marked. You can just pick a trail and hike and turn around or do a loop. They, they're great. Of course, a lot of people know about All Trails. That's an app. Practically every place now has an All Trails citation. I personally don't use it very much. I prefer old school paper maps. But I know a lot of folks who use it. it you know, it can be helpful. I have a friend named Kathy Joy, and she lives in Tuolumne County. And she's written a couple books called Hiking on Highway 108, her books have are full of information about hiking all the way from Knights Ferry up and beyond Sonora Pass. And so if you want to get some hiking in the Sierra, check out one of Kathy's books. There's a lot of just kind of local hikes, local meaning right here in our county. There's a short trail out of Waterford. You go down the street 
think it's called Reinhold. It goes right by Waterford High School at the end. Go down to the river and park. You can hike a few miles upstream. There's also uh, hiking around Don Pedro Lake. That's close by. So just check it out. You know, take advantage of, of what's out there. What about the, what is it, two-mile-long trail along Scenic Road in Modesto? Oh, that? yes, sure. Uh-huh. Along Dry Creek. I think it's it may be more than two miles, but yes, if, if you start at Moose Park and just keep hiking east, you'll get to, I think, Claus Road, and even you can hike a little bit beyond that as well. A lot of people use it to ride their bike and walk their dogs, and yeah, so that's great. Yeah, I like that spot. Just to be helpful to people that don't know some of these terms, can you define riparian and then you were talking about uh, serpentine soils can you if you could give a description of serpentine soils okay well serpentine soil is just named after the mineral serpentine and it it actually is a little bit toxic to some plants and that's why only certain plants can grow there it also contains stuff in it i don't know if it's minerals or elements that are part of asbestos. Oh. And so there are actually in the hills between the Central Valley and San Jose, there are large tracts of serpentine soils. They have to limit exposure and driving on those roads because supposedly it's a health hazard for people who do long exposures to those, you know, where they're kicking up the dust. I didn't know that. And then the, the word riparian just means uh, another way of saying riverine or of the river. So uh, like I was talking about Caswell Park along the Stanislaw River, that's where you find these magnificent sycamores and cottonwoods and black walnuts and oak trees and all the associated shrubbery and plants and animals. Sounds wonderful. Tell us some history of your overall activism. I've mentioned that I've been a member of Sierra Club since the 80s, and in fact, I'm a life member, but uh, I have lobbied with the Sierra Club, uh, one time in Washington, D.C. This was back in the 2000s, I'll say around 2007 or 8, and there was an omnibus public land bill, and it actually had bipartisan support. People from all over the United States went to Washington, D.C. to lobby for this bill, and so that was a really wonderful experience to be part of that, and my good friend Dorothy Griggs, who many of you out there know, and she's been a member of Sierra Club. Uh, she and I went together. We had a great time. And then I've also lobbied locally with the local Sierra Club California Lobby Day event. I've done that several times in Sacramento on state environmental bills. And that was a wonderful event because we would meet the day before, we would do a training, and then the next day we would spend the whole day lobbying our local uh, state Assembly and Senators. I have also done some lobbying with a group called Great Old Broads for Wilderness. And I really like this group because they say you don't have to be great, you don't have to be old, and you don't have to be abroad. You just have to be <laughs> wild for wilderness. <laughs> and so I have been a member uh, with them for about 30 years, and I've gone on field trips with them, a rafting trip. I've done several educational and lobbying sessions I have attended meetings with Josh Harder and his staff uh, when Josh was our congressman here in Stanislaw County. We would lobby for wilderness bills and public land bills uh, with Josh. I have also been a member of 
a group called Population Connection for over 30 years. And this group was founded by Paul Ehrlich, professor from Stanford with population and resource issues. I've been, you know, supporter of them, but I've also was a what was called a pet netter or population education trainer. And so for about 30 years, I would give presentations to other educators all over California. I have also given classroom presentations locally and also other parts of California. I have arranged for John Seeger, who is the president and CEO of Population Connection, to speak locally. He has spoken at Modesto Junior College and Stanislaus State, UC Merced. I have also lobbied with them in Sacramento as well. Wow. This is KCBP 95.5 FM, Voice of the Valley, and we are interviewing Elaine Gorman, Vice Chair of the Yokuts Group Motherloads Chapter. Some of my other volunteer activities have been with the Sierra Club. I've done some service trips with them, besides just some national outings. But one of the things I've done for about 12 years is I volunteer at what's called the Yosemite Conservation Heritage Center in Yosemite Valley. That is that stone building that looks like a little chapel. Sometimes people come in and think it's the chapel, but it's not. It's older than the one about the same age as the chapel. But the Yosemite Conservation Heritage Center was built by the Sierra Club over 100 years ago in Yosemite Valley. It's like a another small museum in Yosemite Valley. And so I, uh, our volunteers are there for a week at a time. So we volunteer to be docents in the building. We just answer questions that visitors to Yosemite Valley have. There are usually evening programs on the weekends. And so I'm a volunteer there, and that's been really fun to do that. And the only requirement is that you have to be a Sierra Club volunteer, uh, a member of the Sierra Club, we get a free camping spot for a week in Yosemite Valley, and we have two days off, and you can go hiking or do whatever you want for two days. It's great. So I encourage people interested to um, check that out. Another group that I volunteer for a lot is called Wilderness Volunteers. They only do service trips. So I usually do uh, two or three volunteer gigs with them every year, and the service projects include trail maintenance or trail construction, illegal campsite destruction. A lot of times in the wilderness, people will build a campsite in an illegal place, meaning right adjacent to water or place too close to the trail or somewhere where they're not supposed to be. In fact, sometimes people will build a campsite right next to a sign that says no camping. (laughs) And yes. (laughs) And, and then we do a lot of um, revegetation or we're doing vegetation management, invasive plant removal. I really enjoy those type of service trips. Uh, Another group I have recently started volunteering for is called Historic Corps. Historic Corps is similar to Wilderness Volunteers in that there's five-day trips. Their primary concern is revitalizing historic buildings all over the United States, and that's been really fun to go to some places and re-roof a barn or uh, do some painting on a historic building, and so that has also been really fun for me. That's a unique one. I've never heard of that one. Talk to us about the programs with the Yokuts Group Motherload Chapter of the Sierra Club and give us a quick heads up on the events and the scholarship in 2023. <laughs> Talk a lot about that scholarship. First thing is 
the Sierra Club has programs every third Friday of the month, except for December and also not during the summer. Our June program is actually a really fun potluck. And our December program is a Christmas party. And so we have a lot of fun. And then the other seven months, because we don't meet in July or August, but the other months out of the year, we meet at, now that we're back in person, not doing Zoom, we meet at the College Avenue Congregational Church on the corner of College and Orangeburg in the Fellowship Hall. And we usually have some nice snacks and beverages. And we begin at 6.45. Program starts at 7, usually lasts an hour to an hour and a half. Our topics for presenters are are varied, anything from some environmental issues. Sierra Club and Audubon members can bring slides to uh, share with the group. We just have a wide variety coming up. We have a bird program coming up. We have a native plant program coming up. Please come. It's, it's open and free and uh, open to the community, so please join us for that. We have some ways of the community getting information about us. Is We have a newsletter called The Valley Habitat, which comes out every other month. We share that newsletter with the local Stanislaw Audubon Society group. Each of us, meaning both Stanislaw Audubon and Sierra Club, we each have a Facebook page. We each have a website. Sierra Club, we have a meetup page called Stockton Modesto Sonora Sierra Club Meetup. All of these are free to join, of course. Our meetup page includes all of our information for our programs, our special events, just anything we're doing that's related to the Sierra Club. We also do outings. Of course, the Sierra Club, you think of outings. You can check our newsletter website, meetup, Facebook for some upcoming hikes that will be in the area. Another outings leader, Jeff Olson, he usually leads a couple of beginning backpack trips every summer. So we'll have information about that probably coming up. One other important thing that our group is doing right now is the scholarship. We used to do this frequently. And then, you know, of course, during COVID and some other things, uh, had a little lapse. But Laura Stokes, our host, (laughs) and I have resurrected the scholarship. And so we offer a $1,000 scholarship, high school seniors, high school seniors, and students who are now at a local college can apply. All you have to do is write a little bit about your experience with an environmental type activity or project. So if you have any questions, again, go to our website or Facebook page and learn all about it. And hopefully your high school counselor has information about that. I should add that the student does not have to be in Stanislaw County next fall, that the $1,000 can be spent anywhere on the planet. That's a good thing. And we will award it in late May. And what else have we got? We've got the river walk and and (laughs) the canyon. Yes, thank you. I didn't write that down. Uh, We have a couple of environmental issues that our group is thinking about and that we're participating with. One is the Save Del Porto Canyon Committee. There is a dam being proposed in Del Porto Canyon to be part of the Del Porto Water District. The Sierra Club and I think California Native Plant Society and a couple other groups are fighting it. That is actually in litigation right now. Another Local issue is the Riverwalk development in Riverbank. And so there are several members in our group who are attending those meetings and presenting testimony, trying to keep that land out of development. And so if you are interested in that, 
I'm not really sure who to contact, but I think if you just Google Riverwalk development in Riverbank, something might turn up. Are there any other organizations in this area that you want to want people to know about, like the Tuolumne River Trust and the Audubon Society? Let people know how they can participate with those groups, contact them, and any events they're promoting. Tuolumne River Trust also has a lot of school programs they're very involved in and getting our local students outside and recreating, enjoying nature, and learning science. They've been very active with a program called Trekking the Tuolumne. So the Tuolumne River Trust is just a fantastic group. We like to work with them when we can. And then, of course, the Stanislaw Audubon Society, we share the Habitat newsletter with them. They have a Facebook page, they have a website, and you can learn all about their field trips. They offer a lot of field trips. You can learn about birding, and they also have some Zoom programs. Another group that is uh, being resurrected is California Native Plant Society. So if you are into botany and wildflowers, this might be the group for you. They are also doing some local field trips. I've been on one of them, one field trip with them in the Knights Ferry area. It was fantastic. Cece Hurst led a, actually a little mushroom hike, and that was fantastic. And they're all, all of these events are family friendly. Uh, you'll learn a lot and have a good time. Super. You told me about the Yosemite Bug Hostel. That sounds wonderful. Share that. Yosemite Bug is located in this little town called Mid Pines, which is off of the highway from Merced going into Yosemite. And I'll say it's Highway 40, but I could be wrong. It might be 41 or 140, one of those highways. I haven't been there in a while. Yosemite Bug has all kinds of lodging options from a bunk bed in a hostel type situation to a Pretty nice hotel room. They have a wonderful cafe there. The food is delicious and inexpensive. They even have some hot tubs you can rent and a sauna. I believe they have a campground. I've never camped there, but I, I do think there is a camping area there. And one of the nice things about the Yosemite Bug is that you can stay there and then walk about a quarter of a mile to the Yarts bus station, which will stop for you in Mid Pines. And you can hop on the Yarts bus. It used to be about $8 each way, so maybe about $15 round trip from Mid Pines. That also includes your entrance into Yosemite National Park. So it's wonderful because you're on a bus. You don't have to drive that 45 minutes or hour. They're doing the driving for you. You get your admission into Yosemite National Park instead of paying the $30 per car fee. It's hard, it's hard to beat. And it's, it's really one of my favorite places. Sometimes I'll even just stay there just kind of for fun because they it's just a, a great experience there. That sounds like a good deal. How can people learn more about John Muir, the co-founder of the Sierra Club? Well, uh, as a lot of people know, John Muir originally was from Scotland and he came over as a young boy and his family settled in Wisconsin and his family were farmers there and he had a very rough life. You know, this is in the 1800s. Of course, it was just raw land and they dug wells and built their house and did everything. He was in college and he had he was had a really good aptitude for inventing things and making things. And he had a, an accident, had an eye injury. When he came out of that, 
he, I, he made the decision to really investigate the natural world. And so he started these very long walks, eventually decided to move out to California and became interested in the public lands or lack of here in California. He just wanted to get people out in nature. He is a wonderful writer and his writings have just inspired so many people. He did invite President Teddy Roosevelt to come to Yosemite. They had a very famous little camping trip in Yosemite to encourage the expansion of wilderness and parks on public land. In case you didn't know, the University of the Pacific is the repository for Muir's papers, books, and some of his personal belongings. They are located in the Holt Atherton Special Collections in the library there at UOP. There is a exhibit called the John Muir Experience in the library lobby. You should go check that out. They have many of John Muir's books there, things you can look at, some paintings that were in his home and paintings that inspired him. There's many interactive displays there. I encourage people to do that. Now, the U University of the Pacific used to host a John Muir conference every four years I'm not sure what happened during or after COVID. I don't know if there's a lapse. I did go to the website recently just to see what was going on, and I, I couldn't find anything. I hope that they can get that going again, because that was a fantastic conference to attend. They would have speakers from all over the United States to come and, and give information about John Muir. Another cool thing you can check out is that there is a John Muir National Historic Site in the town of Martinez, and you can even take Amtrak to Martinez and then walk to the John Muir National Historic Site. It's only two miles away. It is the house that he lived in when he got married, raised his two daughters there. The house, I guess the family at some point sold it, but it eventually the National Park Service was able to buy it. It has been restored. And not many of the belongings actually belong to the Muir, the Strenzel family. The Strenzels were his in-laws and his wife. However, they are pretty honest to the time that when they live there and you can walk the grounds, there's also an historic adobe located on the same property. That's kind of fun to check out. You can spend easily spend a half a day there and there is nearby some public land that you can take some uh, hikes around there. There's a little peak there, a little hill called, I think they call it Mount Wanda named after <laughs> one of his daughters. So you can do a little three to five mile hike around there as well. Super. Thanks for your time and thoughts. And thank you for your public service as an advocate for the environment. And thank you for your career as a public school teacher. You're listening to KCBP Community Radio at 95.5 FM and streaming at kcbpradio.org. This is Women of the Valley, where we examine the issues, stories, organizations, and people important to women in our community. We're your hosts, Laura Stokes. And I'm Linda Scheller. You have been listening to Women of the Valley on KCBP Community Radio, 95.5 FM, and streaming at kcbpradio.org. Our music is Tin Can Trap by Chad Crouch. This has been Laura Stokes and Linda Scheller. We hope you will catch us next time on Women of the Valley. Thanks for listening.